Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belts of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this morning, Tim will get up and we'll talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace. And as we consider the Roman legionaries' armor and we get to the shoes, it's no mistake that Paul would have us slow down there. They innovated when it came to shoes. Our shoes are definitely a byproduct of what they did. Really, our cleats are a byproduct of of their innovation. See, because uh, the Romans, they put hobnails, they put spikes in the, the soles of their feet and uh, uh, right where the, the pad of the foot would be so you could uh, get a good grip. And that would do two things. It would give them a great grip no matter what the, uh, the soil they were on, whether they are on concrete or streets, not concrete at that point, cobblestones, whatever it might have been, or if they were in sandy loom, whatever it would have been, they would have had great traction. They would have been able to dig in and then it allowed them to run longer than other armies. They would have a greater uh, longevity out of their shoes, I guess. Like uh, Zion Williams, right? Like no one wants to have their shoe blow out in the middle uh, uh, of the big moment. Like you don't want your foot to bust out. And so their shoes allow them to travel further and more steadily. And Paul makes the connection. And as we read through it, he makes this connection third because we start with the truth. We start with who we are and who God is. So we buckle on that belt. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness because once we realize that we are truly God's, that we are his children, the first thing the enemy does is go after you're not good enough. You can't do enough. And he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the the truth comes and then uh, we get fitted with the breastplate of righteousness that comes from Jesus. And then he says, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Because even if you wrestle with the fact that you're not good enough, your God didn't demand that you would be. Jesus didn't say, be good enough. He said, be secure in my peace. And so that's where we get today. We will be looking at what it means to have peace in a world that is crashing in around us, that is causing us all sorts of anxieties. 
And as we continue in worship, we're actually going to take a moment to reflect on that piece. We're going to take a moment to approach the Lord's table, which is communion. And you might have heard it called the, the table. You've heard it called communion. And one of my favorite ways to reference it is actually the altar. Because this is the place where we remember the sacrifice that Christ gave on our behalf. This is the moment where we get to remember uh, what Christ has done in order to secure our peace. And so we have great peace from God because he has given it to us. We've done nothing to earn it. And as we remember both these things, which seem maybe apart, we can look at it and say, this is for the believer. And maybe the armor doesn't feel that way, but it is. The armor is also for the believer. And so we're reminded of our salvation. We're reminded of our righteousness, righteousness on a daily basis, as often as we need. And so we run to the table no matter what's going on in our life. Whatever you walked into church with today, uh, know that Christ has already secured your peace over that issue. Because ultimately, uh, you have one battle to win or lose. You will lose lots of them throughout this life, but only one truly matters. And that's who you are in Christ. If you lose that battle, the consequences are eternal. But Christ has already secured the victory for you. And so absolutely take time and wrestle with where you are. Wrestle with the sin that maybe is indwelling in you that you are fighting against. Wrestle against it and then realize that Christ wants you in relationship with him. He's given you the shoes of the gospel of peace so you could run to him. Not so that you could run anywhere else. And so take moments and reflect. Reflect on where you are. And then when you're ready, come and grab the elements. We're going to sing a song. We'll give you space to reflect. And man, this song we're about to sing, it is all about what Christ did for you and me. And whatever it takes, get up here. But if you aren't a believer, this is a time for you just to watch and to reflect. But if you know who Christ is, if you know that he secured your peace, run to the table. Run to the altar. David Jeremiah in his book, Overcomer, who we're leaning on pretty heavy for this, uh, uh, for this series. And it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the, the, the Bible study that our, our small groups are using. And uh, he wrote this. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults in the United States. Just over 18% of our population. Some anxiety disorders are clinical in origin, springing from genetics, brain chemistry, or both. Others are the results of life events and circumstances and conditions. On any given day, we are affected by the five C's of anxiety. Change, conflict, criticism, concerns, and the crisis of the day. We know rates of those experiencing crippling or altering anxiety, worry, and depression is rising among all ages, including children and teens. Younger and younger children are being diagnosed with anxiety disorders. And those that head our nation's colleges say that the rates of anxiety are higher than ever 
among our students. Just because we have the peace of Christ, knowing that there was this incredible righteousness that was imputed, deposited into our lives, that we'd always be seen righteous before God. We'd be justified that our sins would be forgiven and we would stand with Him, seen in the righteousness of Christ. Just because that's the truth doesn't mean that we're going to be free of anxiety and pain and difficult circumstances in this world. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be hit upside the head and not know how to get up sometimes. It doesn't mean that we're going to walk through life just whistling with some giant smile on our face that's always going to be there. There's going to be some dark days. There's going to be some difficult days. There's going to be some trying days. There's going to be some days where we just don't know how to get up. Part of it. And so while it's true we're not going to have a stress-free life, it's also true that we have an overcomer that saved us. It's also true that we have one that holds us up in all circumstances. We have one where victory is theirs. We have one that we can be assured in the moment of crisis, the deep moment of our need, the moment where everything seems to be unraveling right before our eyes, the moment we can't make sense of it, that we have a victor, that we have a conquering king on our behalf who's always fighting and is always right there in the perfect position to lead us, to guide us, to show us, to bring us from the darkness into light, that we have the Savior who's always on our side. Have you ever seen some of our, our, our modern dynasty championship teams? Have you ever really just watched them? You know, or some of the athletes that no matter where they seem to go, no matter what they do, they can put a team on their back and just kind of carry them. Have you watched the people around them and security that their team gets? It's this, it's this craziness that they just seem to have this incredible confidence that no matter what happens, they're going to win the game. No matter what happens, they're going to get to the victorious side of the circumstances. No matter how far behind they seem at halftime, their team has great confidence. If you ask someone on the Patriots team, they'll say, we just want the ball in Tom Brady's hands at the end of the game. That's all we want, and we'll be okay. If you ask anybody who's playing on LeBron James' team, we just want LeBron James to take the last shot. We're going to be okay. As Paul would call the faithful followers of Christ, beloved, beloved, how much more should that be us in the real game of life? That we have this great victor who knows the outcome of all things, who is in control of all things, who has us in the grip of his hand and promises never to surrender us or leave us. How much more should we walk through this life with incredible confidence that brings a peace that in all circumstances, we will get to the other side. We will. The gospel of peace comes from this truth that we find in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have gained access by his faith to the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's not just at the moment of salvation. That's not just the moment of going, oh, I'm saved. It is that we boast day in and day out. We sit with great confidence no matter what the circumstances are, and we boast in our hope 
of Christ. We boast in his victory. We live from his victory. We live from that place. But we also get to live in that peace. And we can choose to walk in God's peace every single day. John 16, says this, and this is what Jesus told his disciples as he was about to go to the cross, as he was about to depart this earth. This is what he told them. It was going to happen. They were going to be left in this most difficult circumstance. And he said this, I have told you these, these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only has he overcome the consequences of our sin, not only has he overcome the war that existed between us and God, not only did he unite us, not only did he give us a place in the kingdom, not only did he cause us to be heirs to the throne, not only did he give us purpose, but he gave us the ability to walk in peace each and every day of our lives because he would be with us. You see, that peace comes from the knowledge of his power and strength. It brings in inward confidence and stability that brings peace in the midst of life's darkest moments. You see, being one with him, united with him in his presence, is to be assured the fact that we get to live as overcomers. We're assured that the Prince of Peace is with us daily in and out of our situations. It's to be assured that the one who knows the hairs on our heads and the sand on the seashore and everything is counted and he knows all the days of our lives, those from the moment they began until the moment they will end. He knows every circumstance, every trial, every situation is with us. He is with us. In John 14, making sure again that they would know he says this, all this I've spoken while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. And I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do. Not be afraid. See, the world gives these, uh, these accomplishments in the world. We have uh, seasons, whether they last for a, a couple moments or a few days or a few years, where we feel like we're on top and we're invincible. And then suddenly life in this world just sweeps them away, takes them away. Something knocks us down and kicks our feet out from right underneath us. But he is saying, look, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to remind you that you are always mine, you're future, your eternity is secure, and to remind you that I am with you and that daily I will remind you of all that I have taught you so that you may choose to walk in the peace of my power and my presence in your life. I have not left you alone. I have not abandoned you. I have left you with the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that will remind you day in and day out of the peace that you have because of my power and my strength and my presence. That is powerful. That is peaceful. That gives us incredible confidence no matter the storm. When we feel like, I can't, I can't handle it. It's okay. He's handling it. 
I feel like I'm going to be crippled under the, under the pressure. My chest is caving in. He has it. He has it. He'll lift your chest back up. He'll hold you up. And he'll give you a new step. And when you can't see where that step is, well, he'll light the way. And he'll show you. He'll show you. And it won't be taken away, no matter what. He's there so we might live in peace. How is it that we choose this? How is it we choose it, right? We're talking about the armor of God that we put on the whole armor. And we know the truth of who God is, which we've just been talking about. And that truth leads us to, to righteousness, right? That our heart's protected and that we're constantly remembering the truth and making right decisions. And part of the right decisions that we have for each day is to make the right decision to choose to trust God in our trials and our difficulties. To choose to allow His peace to overcome the circumstances that we're in and that which we can't see that is ahead of us. So how is it that we choose that? The very first thing we're going to do is we're going to surrender. We have to choose to surrender every day. In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. First of all, is that not a choice? Is that not a choice to rejoice? It has to be a choice. Because when we're at our darkest moment, it has to be a choice to rejoice in who God is. It has to be a choice that we make to rejoice in his great power and his great strength. It has to be a choice to rejoice that we're in this situation and that God is teaching us, helping us to learn how to persevere, and that he is with us and we are not alone. So we rejoice because If we were alone, we wouldn't make it. So we rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. The Lord is near to us, no doubt. Do not be anxious about anything. By the way, that word anything includes anything. Anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that means it doesn't make sense. I shouldn't have peace right now. It shouldn't overwhelm my situation. It shouldn't speak into my situation. I have peace, and it doesn't make sense. That it transcends all understanding. That peace will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, make no mistake, Satan would love to just enter into our lives and just cause us to look away from the powerful one, cause us to look at the problems that seem to be overwhelming us, the problems that seem to have no end, the problems that just seem to keep piling up and building this wall that I can't simply escape from, and it creates this prison that I don't even know how to walk any longer that I feel trapped in, he would have no greater desire than to do that, to cripple one of the king's sons and daughters with the circumstances of life. And oh, Paul says, hey, hey, listen, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds. We must put on the peace that comes from the gospel. 
And what is that? That he is with us. He will never forsake us. We are his. We are in his grip. He will not lose us. His power is sufficient for eternity as well as this day here. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to teach us, and to remind us of his truths. So what does it mean to surrender? Well, the practice of this surrendering that Paul's talking about is praying. Is praying. So we can worry and we can recount all that's taking place. And we can recount all of our feelings. And we can recount all of our emotions. And we can just play it a hundred times over and over again. Like a broken record or a, or, or a skipping CD or whatever it happens to be. It just plays and plays and plays. Or we can stop. And we can go to the Lord with great intimacy and under the truth of who He is and we can pray. We can talk to Him. We can run to Him. We can take those shoes that are fitted with the, the studs that help us keep our traction and, and help us to stand firm. And we can run into the presence of the Father and say, Lord, I need you now. I am scared to death. And I don't know what's ahead and I can't figure it out. And the darkness is overwhelming. Show me your light. But I need you now. We can go to him with our, our deepest hurts and our, our biggest complaints. And we can go to him. We can go to him. For we have an advocate that will remind us of the power and the majesty of who he is. That will overwhelm our hearts with peace. Because we went to him. When Joshua took the reins of Israel, the first thing that God tells them is, do not fear, for I am with you. And he doesn't tell them your task will be easy. He doesn't say every day will be a breeze. He doesn't say, hey, because I'm with you, you'll have all the answers for every second of, of every thought you ever have. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, because I'm with you, people are just going to lay down and the, the waves of people are just going to part and, and you just get to walk and you, know, you get to walk and, and all the problems of life just disappear. He doesn't say that. In fact, what's ahead of Joshua is downright uh, freakishly scary. And he says, hey, don't fear, for I am with you. Be strong and take courage. Why? Because I'm telling you to? Or? No, because I am with you. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been made right with God. We have been given peace. We walk in the power. Paul says in this whole section we're looking at, in the power of Christ, stand firm. We got it. Stand firm. Shoes, spikes, peace that comes from the gospel. Stand firm. You realize before many of the miracles that Jesus performed, he was away with the Father? That he had went in solitude and isolation for hours at a time and just sat with the Lord? And he was sat with the Father and was re we don't know what their conversation was, but we know that his heart was filled and we know that uh, there was... Probably a back and forth conversation. There's probably a listening. We don't know what it was, but we know that he sat with him in prayer. And some of the most amazing things happened after he sat with him in prayer. He, he, he came back out and fed the thousands with only a few fish and a few loaves, right? Which, by the way, were causing great anxiety for the disciples. 
He healed people. You know, he, he went by himself after, after John the Baptist was beheaded, his cousin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus experienced murders and crisis and trials and pain in his life. And what did he do? He ran to the Father. He ran to the Father. You realize that in running to the Father, it's not just running to him in that moment of crisis, that it's a lifestyle. That the prayer that Paul is talking about in this passage, by prayer and petition, it's a lifestyle of prayer. It's an all-the-time prayer. It's a, I go to him, and these great things happen after my time of prayer. My, my focus is renewed. It's redirected. My, my heart is encouraged because of this intimate conversation I'm having. Did you know that every time we start out our prayer on our Wednesday night gatherings, we started out with what we call adoration, just adoring God and reminding ourselves of the character of God and the power of God and the greatness of God. Did you know what we do when we gather here for worship? We're starting out our gatherings, remembering the greatness of God, the power of God, the work of God. That we might talk about some of the difficult things in our lives and how that power and that majesty speaks into the whole of our lives. And he's the hope that we have. And he's the strength that we have. You see, when we go to him day in and day out, remembering that, talking to him about that, declaring that to him and hearing him speak back to us, his voice becomes an ever-present a voice of help through all of our circumstances. And then when we run to him, we run to him with great confidence. Isn't that what a child does? Think about when a child runs to their father when they're fearful or they don't know what's ahead of them or somebody new walks into the house or, or there's a situation that scares them. It's the middle of the night. Look, they don't run to their mom and dad because they've never met him before. They don't run to their mom and dad because their mom and dad never did anything for them before. They don't run to their mom and dad because their mom and dad never said anything to them before. They don't run to their mom and dad because their mom and dad never helped them out before. You see, this peace that we choose to surrender in this time of great need comes from a conversation that happens daily, from this intimacy that grows daily, from this time of living daily with our Father and the knowledge and the conversation of who He is. And then in that moment where it is just, we don't know, we, we don't know if we can make it and it all feels like it's crushing in, the anxiety is becoming greater and the depression is, is, is getting stronger. We run to the Father and we say, oh, Daddy, it's too much. And then what does he do? He does exactly what a faithful dad does. He grabs us, scoops us up and says, my son or my daughter, let me teach you about this. Let me give you perspective about what this is. Let me show you what this is. Let me remind you of how powerful I am. Oh, man, I didn't care how afraid I was. Now, remember, our Lord is never afraid. But it didn't matter to me how scared I was. If my boys came to me, oh, man, I let them know, hey, your dad's bigger than that. Your dad's bigger than this moment. Your dad's bigger than this trial. Your dad's bigger than this fear. I'm bigger. And then I reminded him it's because I serve a God who's bigger than me. I never failed to remind him of that. And so when we run to the Father, he reminds us I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm the overcomer. I am victorious. Yes, you can hide in my shadow for my strength is sufficient. For all of your circumstances. We have to choose to go there on a daily basis. Day in and day out. Knowing our Father. And knowing the intimacy of His voice. And trusting Him daily. We have to choose what we think. 
Paul continues in that. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Catch that again. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever have you learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Remember where we started? All things are wrapped up in the truth of who God is. All things are wrapped up in the truth of God's great power and his majesty and his character. We must know the majesty, the character, and the power of God. And then what do we choose? After we run to the Father, we choose what we think. Yes, it's true. We choose what we think. So often we sit in our circumstances and our difficult moments and our hard times and we have all these thoughts and these thoughts are crippling and these thoughts bury us. And we're like, oh, well, what else am I to do? We can choose what we think. We can think about that which is right, that is, which is admirable, that which is pure, that which is praiseworthy, that which is excellent. We can choose to think about the Lord and his majesty. We can choose to think about his power. We can choose to think about the stories of old, of all the times he stepped in. We can choose to think about the stories that we get to know from our fellow brothers and sisters of how he stepped in and his great power. We can choose to think, to contemplate, to meditate on those thoughts. Do you? Beloved, child of the king, the one who has the the Prince of Peace, the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Do you think, do you choose to think thoughts of our Savior, His power, His majesty, and His next right step for you in this circumstance? Warren Wearsby said it like this, wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. And And before long, the heart and mind are pulled apart and we are strangled by worry. We must realize that thoughts are real and powerful, and even though they cannot be seen, weighed, or measured, we must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's from 2 Corinthians 10.5. And he ends with this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Check this out now. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We can choose what we think. David Jeremiah put it this way. What we ponder determines what we practice. What we practice determines our living. Max Lucado had this to say. You probably know this, but in case you don't, I'm so thrilled to give you the good news. You can pick what you ponder. You don't select your birthplace or birth date. You don't choose your parents or siblings. You don't determine the weather or the amount of salt in the ocean. There are many things in life over which you have no choice. But the greatest activity of life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you think about. You can be the air traffic controller of your mental airport. You occupy the control tower and you direct the mental traffic of your world. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it's because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it is because you directed it to do so. You can select your thought patterns. 
It turns out that our most valuable weapon against anxiety weighs less than three pounds and sits between our ears. Think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Remember that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? Remember that? Hmm. It was written by Horatio Spafford, who lived between 1828 and 1888. He was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman and was also a devout Christian. Among his closest friends were several evangelists, including Dwight Moody from Chicago. Stafford's fortune evaporated from his eyes one night when the Chicago fire of 1871 swept through. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan shoreline, he lost almost everything overnight. Hymnologist Kenneth Osbeck tells this story. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join and assist Moody in one of his campaigns in Great Britain, Spatterford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. In November of that year, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain in Chicago, but sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him as scheduled. He expected to follow in a few days. And on November 22nd, the ship carrying his wife and four daughters on the way to England was struck by another vessel. And it sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally arrived in Wales. And Mrs. Spatterford cabled to her husband, saved alone. Spatterford left immediately to join his wife. The hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, is said to have been penned as he approached the area of the ocean, thought to be where the ship carrying his daughters had sunk. It is well. With my soul is what he penned. I don't know. We're going to take too much time here, I'm sure. You get to choose what you think. You also have to choose someone. And we got to stop trying to get through this stuff all by ourselves. We need to walk with people. We need to walk with people by our side. We need to walk with people who can help us get through the darkness. We need to walk with people who have walked where we are walking previously. We need to walk with the skilled. We need to walk with the talented. We need to walk with those that know Christ intimately. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, no one person. So one person sharpens another. 1 Thessalonians says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. We're to help one another. We're to encourage the weak at heart. And the only way we can do that is if we're with one another. And the only way we can receive that encouragement is if we choose to ask somebody to encourage us. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves according to three strands, is not quickly broken. We have to lock arms. We have to come together. We have to be intertwined in one another's lives. 
It might be time to see a doctor or a counselor. You're going to have to choose someone. It's okay. Christians can see doctors and counselors. Absolutely we can. And we should. We should allow God to use whatever means possible. And sometimes we need to do exactly that. We should get in a life group and share life with other believers and hear their stories and see, hear about their journey and begin to understand how they've walked through some of those same places as we have. We need to do that with one another. We need an individual who's going to pick us up when we're so far down and just carry us. Last April, May, and June, I hit a really dark place in my life. I wasn't sure how to get out of that place. And so I reached out to a couple friends, and I began sitting with them. I opened myself up to a couple other pastors in the area, and they began to speak into my life. I wasn't prepared for what I was experiencing. I had the hope of the gospel. I knew how to turn. I knew how to trust. I knew how to choose my thoughts. I just needed somebody else to be my guide for just a little bit longer, to hold my hand through a really dark time. And they did. In June, I started to see the light. In June, I started to walk with a different step again. In June, I started to walk in that peace instead of just claiming that peace. I needed somebody to walk with me. You can choose today, right? Choose today. For tomorrow, it has enough worries of its own. We so often get overwhelmed and crippled because we look too far in the future. Matthew 6, this is Jesus' words. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. On July 27, 2013, many of us heard about the loss of Rick Warren's son, who's the pastor at Saddleback Church. He immediately left his pulpit. Other pastors stepped in and took over as they should have. And he returned 122 days later, four months later. One day at a time, Pastor Warren had been seeking the Lord after his youngest son took his life at age 27. Pastor Warren returned to his pulpit that Sunday in July. He began a new series of messages entitled, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And the first point of his sermon was this. Life doesn't make sense, but we can have peace because we know that God is with us and loves us. That's what you learn after losing your son. You spend one day at a time with God for four months. We can have peace because of God's presence and his love. Three years later, having worked diligently through his and his family's grief and recovery, Pastor Warren published an article. It was this, trust one day at a time. And it was based on Philippians 4, 6 through 8, which we've been looking at today. It says, God wants us to trust him one day at a time. Remember what he said in the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us all years, not give us all months, not give us all weeks. Give us today our daily bread. And then he gave us these truths. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God in all things. And think about the right things. Choose today. Put your focus right here. Tomorrow has enough worries. Dr. Jeremiah shared this interesting Mantra, don't borrow tomorrow's burdens before tomorrow. And don't try to do tomorrow's work today. 
Let me share that with you again. Don't borrow tomorrow's burdens before tomorrow. And don't try to do tomorrow's work today. And finally this. You want to get out of it? You want to move through it? You want to walk with the most incredible peace that you can? Want to have hope? Then give peace away. Give peace away. Isaiah 52, 7 says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And in Matthew 28, it's a very familiar passage to us. It is our vision. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Gretchen this morning, when I saw her, she walked up to me and she said, How are you doing? And I said, You know, I'm doing great. And she goes, That's good. I said, Oh, yeah. I go, I don't know if this message is going to be beneficial for anyone else. But it was great for me. You give peace away, and now you're sitting in the thick of it. It's on your mind. It's on your lips. It's a part of every motion. It's a part of every conversation. You're giving peace away. You're living in the midst of peace. You're living in the midst of it. You can teach what you know. But you can give away what you have. You've been given peace. Give it away. Give it away. Father, we love you. We thank you. You're an amazing God. We can surrender to you daily in prayer and in this amazing time of just knowing you and in that moment of crisis, you're there. We can choose what we think. You've given us amazing thoughts and moments, and we can choose them given us truth that we can hang our life on and we can choose that truth as opposed to the lie and that which is overwhelming. Father, we know that we can choose today and we know we can give it away because you've given it to us and we've experienced it. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you have equipped us for the deepest, darkest arrows that the enemy wants to sling our way. For we are yours and you have us in your grip. Thank you, Father. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen. This week, church, walk in peace.